0: All right, Allison, in the spirit of fan fiction and telling stories that are maybe too real, I need to just let you know about a dream that I had about you this past week. Oh, lovely. Well, you know, you can wait on that and see if you would describe it as lovely. So I had a dream in which I was pregnant. And for reasons I don't recall, I couldn't or did not want to keep the baby and instead i wanted to kind of make some money so i didn't even want to give the baby up for adoption but for some reason you approached me and were like you can make some money here and you offered to find a buyer
1: is this a metaphor for this podcast
0: um could be see this is the kind of interpretation i want from you so i'm having this dream and it's one of those dreams where you know you're dreaming while it's happening and you're like god where is this coming from this is so weird so anyway, I'm like freaking out, like, oh, my God, I'm too young to be a mother, or even in a dream, which is obviously not true. But moving on, I'm just about to have a baby. And I like you you come to me and you're like, I found three potential buyers and it's going to be great. And you're going to meet them. So the first person comes in and we have a conversation. I don't remember. And before the person leaves, it was a guy. You stop him and you're like, sir, I just need to let you know, like if this makes a difference to you, that she is only one.
1: Did it make a difference to him?
0: Basically, you were like, if you want to use this to get a lower price, I'll help you because it's fair.
1: This feels stunningly accurate to our relationship.
0: You basically were like, I'm, and I was outraged, and you were like, I'm a Virgo. I don't, I am, I'm here to tell the truth.
1: I think we need a crossover podcast about dreams and dolls, and we call it When We Were Young.
0: I don't know if this makes sense to you or not, and maybe it's wrong of me to want an apology from you for your behavior in my dream, but that's just where we're at right now.
1: I think it's absolutely appropriate, and I'm sorry. I do also hope that that man got a bargain.
0: (laughs) I appreciate the apology, but I, you know what? This is not the time to scam, is all I want to say. Like There's a line in the sand with you and I, and it's like, I'm not going to scam you, and you should not scam me. It's very true. Very true. Okay, now that we've put that past us, welcome everyone to American Girls. This is the podcast where we're reliving the American Girl series book by book. I'm Mary. And I'm Allison. And we're back with some more Josefina content. If you've been following us, you know that we, on our last episode, we capped our journey with Josefina's books. I don't want to say it's the most fun I've ever had, but it was kind of rough stuff.
1: You know, we've been in some arid territory in terms of geography. We've also been in some like deep emotional pits with Josefina. Yes. I I think I'm excited for people to imagine other journeys for her with us.
0: That's right. And so that's why we put a call out to you. Um, We like to do a fanfic episode to kind of see what the fandom imagines for these characters after the lives of the books. And so we are having a contest to see who can write the best story that includes the line. The only requirement is you must include the phrase, Tia Dolores did it.
1: And you know what? You all did it. Oh
0: my God.
1: We put out a rousing call and we gave people a one week, very tight turnaround to produce some kind of content with Tia Dolores did it in the title, in the text, and I just have to say, like, we receive submissions on basically every platform and somewhere multimedia, and we're very excited to share them with you.
0: I'm so blown away. I can't even talk about it, and maybe it's because I just have so low expectations of myself with this challenge. You know, did I write my story 30 minutes ago? Yes, but you know what? We're all doing the best we can with what we have, And you guys are living out loud in these stories. I was laughing out loud reading them. It was, it's been such a joy to see what people have done with these stories.
1: And if you submitted an entry, here's our teaser, because we are going to announce the winner at the end of the episode. Our winner was an ace in the hole. She was not off base, and it was all that we wanted. I can't even, I can't speak about that. (laughs) I'm I'm very excited to speak about it.
0: You know what? She saw the sign. And it opened up my eyes, is all I, I want to say.
1: couldn't agree more.
0: I've literally been just, like, playing that song all weekend. And I played it for Anna, who didn't know who Ace of Base were. And, you know, she was just, she's taking it all in, is all I can
1: say. There are pop renaissance moments that I think, honestly, it gets kind of emotional to talk about. Because I was listening to a radio story this morning, and this woman mentioned that, like, she has this very specific connection to a Backstreet Boys song. And it was actually a CBC podcast on cover. And then it reminds her of her friend who has passed on. And they just started to play a Backstreet Boys song. And it was like, there are people for whom this is an incredibly impactful. Like, it was a visceral connection for me where I was like, I remember listening to this song. I remember being about the same age as this person. And it's like a full transport back to my childhood. Oh, yeah. What song was it? Um, I'm. It's the song that goes Tommy Why." ain't nothing but a heartache. Tell me why. <laughs> I like making you
0: perform a spoken word. I want it
1: that way. Yes, I could not come to that part of it. It was just like a beautifully woven piece of tape into a podcast about, you know, a person that these people were really missing and really mourning. And they all loved that song together. And it was this beautiful moment of humanizing their relationship and also, kind of reminding you like these banal things when they're happening you don't know they're going to be a trigger later in life for a person that you miss
0: that's entirely true and i know that in the josefina books we've been talking about grief quite a bit because basically the books have led us there and we're actually going to have an, an upcoming episode talking about trauma and grief that we are um, excited to bring you guys but uh, i was over the weekend talking with friends about um gray's anatomy don't really rise, Allison. Yep, too late. In um, one of the greatest acts of friendship dedication, Allison and I, when we first knew each other, I was like, Allison, I like to draw a line in the sand and force people to take on my pop culture interest of the moment, or in this case, of a decade. And I was like, if you really cared about me, you would watch Grey's Anatomy. And I'm talking at this point, we're in season 11.
1: And I did. I literally watched all of it. And I took the journey and you started to retake the journey as I was going along with it. And I liked it.
0: You liked it, and I, I will never forget that you did that, and I very much appreciated it, but when I think about that show, I know it's so silly because Grey's Anatomy plotlines are ridiculous and whatnot, and they truly are. I mean, Catherine Heigl is giving CPR to a deer. It's truly the greatest flex of Shonda I've ever seen in my life, but regardless, I had a cousin with whom I was extremely close. He was my age, and he tragically passed when we were 29 years old, but he and I one of the we could not have been more different as people but we both loved Grey's Anatomy and it was like his secret shame because he wanted to be this kind of macho guy and yet every Thursday night he was texting me like I don't understand why Meredith and Derek can't just be together and I was like completely agree completely understand so it's I can relate to someone attaching stuff to a Backstreet Boys song although I will say that I want it that way to me is less about grief and more about mystery because it's like you want what how
1: I also feel like it's a song about petulance, where it's like, I can't even articulate it. I just want things exactly the way that I want them.
0: Exactly. It's, it's like a two year old. And it's also like, why are you in an airport hangar? Every time I watch that music video, I'm like, why are you all in wait in an airport hangar? What's happening?
1: I'm not sure. I don't think anyone can answer those questions, but I think we should just be grateful that those moments happened.
0: I also am flashing back right now to them being on TRL, and remember when the boy bands would show up, and it was so wild in Times Square that they would literally close the blinds in the studio, and I remember, I think it was Kevin or the one who briefly quit. Why I can remember this and not things I actually need to know, I don't know. And he literally so earnestly to camera was like, I just want all the people outside to understand that we want to be able to see you right now. We want to be able to wave at you. But it's just the police have made us close the blinds for safety.
1: I think that was a really different time because it was before Occupy Wall Street. And it's like we just were all (laughs) you're making a face. We just were all living in a very different relationship, I think, to crowds and like performances in the city. And I think we're living in a post-Occupy world with like a heightened militarization. And maybe the Backstreet Boys and the way that they were surveilled help us understand that.
0: You know, I'm, I'm flashing to their song
1: Larger Than Life, and maybe that's what that's actually about. Do you think Larger Than Life is about the ways in which capitalism is unregulated and people run rampant and never go to prison for crimes?
0: I actually think that's what Show Me the Meaning of Being Lonely is about, but I'm willing to be convinced
1: Is that about Goldman Sachs?
0: I think it is. I think when you actually like make it to be a VP, they pull you into a conference room and they play that song and they're like, they just stare at you and they're like, do you get it?
1: So you've touched upon kind of a feeling and an aesthetic that we're both obsessed with, which is content about powerful men being called into boardrooms. I think Mm -hmm. you know where I'm going. Oh, yes. We both can barely breathe at the intensity of Succession. I've been pulled in so
0: deep. And I should just say, the only thing that has, I'm two episodes behind you. And the only thing that's delaying me is that I was simultaneously pulled into a show that's been on the air for multiple years that I was trying to pull you into at the same time. And then I stumbled on, I was in Trinidad for work, as I mentioned, and I was watching Netflix there. And for some reason, Billions is available there and it's not here. As I tragically found out when I returned home after seeing the first three episodes. It's, a, it's basically like secession in many ways where it's kind of like elite privileged white guys dueling over financial crimes and being like immature children. But there's something about it that's so compelling and feels Shakespearean almost in a way that I actually prefer this to Shakespeare, but moving on. it's We're in so deep. So then I, I'm in the midst of that. And then you, I thought the season hadn't started yet. So I was taken quite by surprise. But you're up to date.
1: I am up to date. And I was texting you after watching the latest episode that there was so much about it that i could almost barely process like it was such a physical experience for me to watch and if you listen to a show called the blotter presents sarah bunting has this kind of metric which is if she doesn't look at her phone or doesn't feel a need to look anything up for the entirety of a show or an episode that's like a high mark from her Mm -hmm. and this is a show where like the world stops everything stops I love
0: this show so much because it's so much in the world, but it's it's of the world, but it's, such, it's in its own universe. Like, I know that it's existing in the United States. That's where it's set. But you feel like you're totally in another universe when you're in their world. And I love a show that presents you with such a completely rich, full sense of its own universe, and you get to kind of, like, try to be a tourist within it.
1: I think it's much in the way that, like, let's say we were peasants in let's just say like 1791, 1792, and we're learning about like the foibles of court favorites, that's kind of what it feels like to me. Like it feels like there's so little capacity for change right now and it feels like things are so challenging in terms of power structures. And then to see a show where people who are elite, who have so much power are so deeply flawed, sort Mm -hmm. of like a safety valve. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like I was, I like to listen to Call Your Girlfriend, and they have um, a saying on that show that's the scam is structural, and when I watch that show, it's like, oh, a lot of times when you're trying to explain to people why they're, how structural inequalities work, it's really difficult because you can't pin it on an individual. It's much easier to hate an individual than to try to imagine the problems of a system and assign blame there. With secession, you actually get to put a human face on a lot of these structural issues, so it sort of helps in that instance. Like, yes, this is how huge groups of people get taken advantage of and how they, in a cavalier decision, can ruin whole lives in an instant, just to impress their father in one instance. Like, Kiernan Culkin's character is so immature, but also gets off on being put down. Like, I'm just saying, like, from what I've seen so far, that is my take on this. But when he's in that meeting with Kendall and the father about closing down the media company that Kendall bought in season one, he basically just says, like, yeah, we should gut it. And it's purely just a... He has no research. He's done no... He has no hard information about why this should happen. He can just sense that Kendall wants the opposite, and to impress the father, he's going to take the opposing view. And if you think about that, that's a petty like sibling-parent relationship fight that's going to impact a literal building full of people.
1: I think it's giving us this kind of fascinating peephole into a world of narcissists, and in some cases, psychopaths, who run things. And in this case, it's a multi-billion-dollar media conglomerate, and there's the family tension of who's going to actually take over the company. And that's not a spoiler. That's literally what the show is about. But I think it gives you that sense of confirming what you suspect, which is people who are in power or people who have a lot of money are not fundamentally better than you. They have stumbled into these scenarios or they were born into them. And I mean, we learn that very well being around elite people in various contexts in our lives, but this is, like, such a heightened version of it, and the music takes it to such a level. Yeah. Like, I do think Shonda Rhimes was a master of knowing the right sad pop song at the right time. Mm Mm-hmm. And the music for this, I think, elevates it to high art.
0: Yes, 100%. I really think that this is kind of like Jane Austen for 2019, because whoever the makers of this show are have adroitly figured out how to combine the drama of a drawing room, a political scene of a family, and just like the weird, crazy tension that exists in one room that seems uninteresting to people who don't understand Jane Austen, and like, I'm not interested in them at all, with also an explanation of how our world got to be the way that it is today that the weird tension in a drawing room could actually influence the state of the financial world and there might be nothing you can do about it if you're an actor within it if these people have pulled strings in a way that you can't touch and just kind of like the trauma and tragedy of watching people of privilege fail up and get into positions that can actually meaningfully harm your life. It's so, it's just so haunting and the music gets at that so much. You just hear that opening music and you just are automatically in it. And I also love the costumes. I think they're beautiful.
1: Yes, several people have written pieces about how perfectly it captures a certain class of people who exist in the United States and the ways that people who are extremely privileged and live in these very elite worlds, they don't dress the way that you might imagine hmm. I always think
0: about now this is getting back to a crush issue and I don't want to get into that right now. But, you know, if you read a bio of JFK, I'm going to pause while you roll your eyes at this. Everyone knows that they had insane amounts of money. But in terms of their clothes, it actually told a story about how old money people actually live, that the linings of his suit pockets continually had to be changed because he would barely put out his cigars when he put them in his pockets and they would burn through all the time and ruin his suits. But he just so wasn't thinking about the like maintaining his clothing or you know respecting his property because everything was just so ephemeral to him. And that's how old money people are.
1: Do you think there's a hope that somewhere along the line, the defendants, or sorry, oh, descendants, oopsie, of Josefina Montoya and Co enter a world of elite privilege. Like is there a world in which that happens?
0: Well, I mean, I think something that I don't know fully is whether or not we're actually seeing them in a world of privilege already. We know that Papa had servants whose names we often didn't know. Remember that guy servant who stood out in the rain with them while they were waiting for Patrick O'Toole to bring the violin? He didn't even get named in the book. This man had to stand out all night in the rain. We don't he doesn't even get the privilege of being named in the text. So, there's is some privilege going on there how that compares to other people in their village i can't say do you ever wonder what happened to the woman who taught them all how to weave i think about her all the time not kidding i think about her like twice three two three times a week
1: i have to say i tried a few different drafts where she was a central character in fan fiction and i just couldn't do it because we basically got no backstory except a very tragic reference to her being kidnapped and enslaved and nothing else
0: yeah it's it's it's
1: really tough yeah so if we could imagine a different world in which we get her entire backstory, I think Josefina's life would look very different and we're thinking about ways in which she is and isn't privileged and how that might translate into her future as an American or someone who's incorporated into the United States. And I think part of what was interesting was we decided to give people a framework for the fan fiction, which was, they needed to tell a story of a certain length and they had to include Tia Dolores did it. And people could really only imagine her doing nefarious things, which I think we kind of created.
0: I think we kind of did that. And so I tried to speak back to that by kind of flipping that in the one I wrote for today. So I'm not sure when we'll get to that, but I, I tried to kind of to mix it up. But I do acknowledge that we sort of created... We created this storyline for ourselves, so thank you for your li- to the listeners for joining us in it. I guess.
1: Yeah, we received a good number of entries, and we loved every single one. And it taught us a lot about you all, what you're willing to do. We kind of alluded earlier that we have a very special multimedia presentation that we're going to share with you later. But part of why we solicited fan fiction is. Particularly compared to Felicity, the dearth of Josefina content is kind of sharp. This episode is brought to you by Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to advertisers for native podcast sponsorships.
0: What does that actually mean? Well, for our purposes, it means that we don't have to run ads on our show for products and services we don't believe in. We take this community really seriously. So we've in an ongoing way been trying to match with products that actually meet our mission and our values and are things that we're proud to support. So Podcorn has been a really wonderful service where we've been able to log on to their site and find a bunch of advertisers who want to work with us that we're excited to work with as well.
1: If you're a creator and you're looking for brands that you might want to work with, Podcorn is a great option. They have a marketplace mission to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and control, and you never give up exclusive rights to your podcast. Click the link in our show notes to learn how to sign up and to learn more about Podcorn.
0: That's right. So just head over to podcorn.com and get started today. Yeah. So what, have you, what were you able to find this week?
1: Well, I'm delighted to report back. Um, Every time we do one of these kinds of episodes, it's like I disappear into a different world for a while, and then I have to kind of give a report. Um, So I found one story called Danger on El Camino Real, which is is kind of what you would think. It expands on what we learned a little bit in the canon books. Um, I also really enjoyed something called Fandango, Josefina, and Patrick. Say more. Yeah, so I'd like to share a little bit from that story because I actually thought part of the writing was really, really beautiful. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't say actually, it was just something that I enjoyed. I think it's not surprising that people tried to align Josefina and Patrick as a love interest. What was surprising to me is the level that people went out for Felicity and Ben. We're not getting that with these two. I'll just tell you that.
0: People aren't into it.
1: No, but this one uh, particular contributor, Diego Redeemed Lover, was. (laughs) And what they imagine is that one night during a lovely fandango, lively, my bad, Josefina and Patrick confess their love to the world. This is a one shot and includes authentic Spanish dialogue. So you don't need to know much except for how it ends. And I do love that this person incorporated Spanish into the story um, much in the same way that Valerie Tripp did in her version. Um, So they're having this wonderful night. There's a question of if they have a future. And Patrick turns to Josefina and says, Josefina, mi corazón te amo. He murmured passionately, staring gently into her dark brown eyes and anguished countenance. So like things haven't gotten better. But a veil appeared to be lifted just then, causing the pain to gradually fade out of her expression. So then she tells him that she loves him. And he says, Te amo, truly? His light blue eyes probing her deep brown eyes intensely, feeling he wouldn't be strong enough to bear it if she didn't reciprocate. I'm just going to interject that I think he would be fine. Um, But she does respond that she loves him. And then this part I thought was actually very well written. As if in celestial agreement, a comet of good omen soared through the dark night, slicing right through the sky over the intertwined couple, apparently seeming to give off sparks surrounding them with its grace. The end. I feel
0: like they chose to make the weather sexual there at the end, so I'm just going to say that.
1: Well, I also like, so they do kiss, and I'll just describe that kiss, breathlessly, silently, and ardently, but this is the kiss that, quote, sanctioned their love for all time. Oh, boy.
0: Here's my thing. Is everyone in this story over 18?
1: I'm assuming yes, because I choose to feel that way. Um, I also just love that this person put explicitly at the end, I'd love to see how many people are fans of this sadly underused pairing. And unfortunately, the answer is just us. No one has responded. Aww. The other thing is, I think people struggle because I think there's an emotional depth to Josefina that we lack with Felicity, Mm -hmm. so it's a little bit harder to project a fun narrative onto her world.
0: Yeah, it's not not really something that... I don't really know that her life would get better if we gave her sort of like a male foil to kind of get into hijinks with in the same way that Felicity her story is so light, even as real things are unfolding around her, nothing seems to really touch her in a way. So yeah, I think it it just rings false.
1: I mean, some people did feel inspired to incorporate the sisters into their fan fiction. But generally, people are interested in Josefina, the Camino Real... Josefina and Patrick, people have taken their interests with Josefina. I found a lot more than I thought I would related to material culture. So people being very interested in specific Josefina objects. But I've learned that basically anything that was kind of more cultural or a little bit specific to Josefina, kind of beyond the generic items, has been phased out and is no longer sold. Hmm. So whereas an entire industry has been built up around Felicity. Um, Shout out to the listener who shared with us her trinkets from Colonial Williamsburg and a formative trip there. People don't seem to have been able to build that level of relationship with Josefina in part because of production choices related to her story and then choices made later about what was actually going to still be carried. Yeah,
0: that's really interesting because... I've been wondering like doing some like dipping into eBay kind of on your behalf. I've been involved in many of an eBay spat. I'm just going to say that whoever is dealing in AG stuff on eBay needs to cease and desist immediately.
1: I'm in some private groups. Can I just say that? I'm in some private groups. Buy, sell, trade. People have asked why we don't talk about that more. You know, there are famous, like, duos in history who understand that they have a lane. We can't step outside of ours and pretend like we're scribbling music notes and Mozart is playing in the corner
0: right like we that's what these
1: groups are exactly we
0: know our place and it's not there but it's not from a lack of respect it's just like we know our lane and we're staying in it like can we wax quixotic about Backstreet Boy lyrics for probably three hours sure could I you know create an outfit for an American Girl doll I mean probably but I don't think you'd want to see it because it would just be really sad
1: we have shared some truly stunning images and I do my best to go through Instagram and to find some of the best of the best. The way that some people have created tableaus for Josefina and photographed her in such stunning, beautiful ways puts my you know, iPhone pictures to shame. But the thing that I like about that community is whether people are buying, selling, trading, swapping photographs, there's a genuine love for the dolls and a genuine love for the objects and I could be totally misreading. I could be missing it. It's like a rare corner of the internet where people are kind of gushing over a shared thing and are very protective of it and one another.
0: That is, that seems true. I mean, I'm reading uh, the Gia, I think her name is Torontino book, um trick mirror and the first it's a book of essays and the first essay is about her life on the internet and basically how in our lifetime she's roughly our age the internet has gone from this place that had a lot of pockets of positivity to mostly like super negative dark spaces where people create weird presentations of self that are often false or performances that often get torn down in these really um Toxic attacks on a lot of social media sites. So the AG stuff for me is kind of. Representative of not an imagined simpler time because there are no such things, but um, certainly a place where people are willing to come together around shared values that are net positive and not super critical. And so I think for me, that's super valuable. But I just know that like in terms of the material culture, I'm always going to be an eBay and not an Etsy, if you know what I'm saying. Like I'm ready to spend money on stuff for certain things, but I know that it's not in me to make it.
1: I think that's valid and I think that's why you need all kinds of people in the fandom because there's the people who appreciate what's being made and there's the people who are able to produce it. I think part of what you're getting at, and maybe this is like Josefina rubbing off on us, is scary thought. There's a sincerity to it that I think is important And I have to say one of the most validating things about returning to these stories is I've really yet to receive, and maybe this is like opening up bad karma, like a message sent in bad faith. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Like every person who reaches out to us, even if it's for a correction, and I would say especially as a correction, is writing because this is a thing they care about very deeply. And it's something that they want to engage in dialogue with us about.
0: Right. And I think it's something that we take seriously, too, because I think we're very aware that this community that we've sort of created around this franchise and the dolls and books is is and is not about American Girl itself. Like, it's about the way that American Girl made you feel and the things that it made you imagine for your life as a girl that maybe you're still imagining now as an adult in a different way. So, like, if you were inspired to be creative or love history or be curious about, you know, cooking or food or wanted to, you know, open a restaurant or whatever it is that this inspired in you, we know that, like, you're still going on that journey because we are too, And so I think to demean the dolls in some way is to demean the thing inside of you where it has real meaning. And I think that's why people are hesitant to do it in a very good way. But I still call the franchise out on stuff. And I just want to say that I've been thinking a lot about that with Josefina
1: because we did not get a movie. We did not, which is a total injustice. And American Girl has these kind of trailers for each character and they're all very well done like they're very highly professionally produced they're polished the Josefina one is somehow kind of boring like just to be honest with you and I think of like we did have some tough moments with her like we had the rattlesnake incident we had her non-birthday we had Tia Dolores and the great piano I mean where where is that
0: I mean the goat the goat of it all alone like I went to a fall fair this weekend and there was an entire shed of goats that I I bopped around and I was like, that could be sombrita. Like I'm basically doing casting where I'm like, make me care. Look at me right now. Show me your angles. I'm dream casting this film that we're never going to get basically. And there's no reason why.
1: There's no reason why. And if I can share something that we just learned from a fantastic book, which is Playing with America's All by Emily Zaslow. She actually did some research into an incident that I didn't hear about because I wasn't following American Girl at this time. Um in 2005 the American Girl line released a girl of the year named Mary Saul. Do you remember this vaguely? Yeah. So part of what happened is in the story written around this girl of the year, she has is part of a family of Mexican-American descent and they decide to move out of Chicago into the suburbs to a quote less dangerous place. Uh. And Zaslow, who has this fantastic study all about American Girl and kind of what it means, how it's developed over the past 25 plus years, talks about the way that people who lived in the community that's represented in Marisol Luna's story actually rallied and protested the release of the doll, particularly at the American Girl doll store in Chicago So if you're interested in this story, it's chapter three in her book. It's the opening. But she talks about the way that people felt like this story was finally a representation of their community. And it was that the person needed to flee, like the person was not safe. So she needed to be like upwardly mobile and get somewhere better.
0: Yeah, that's not great.
1: No. And people who were protesting this even said like, there is a storyline that could be told there of why people move, and the storyline is actually gentrification.
0: 100%. And what's fascinating is that by all accounts, Blair, the girl of the year this year, is sort of like the effects of gentrification or white flight. Like she lives in the middle of nowhere in a seemingly affluent home with a barn that's not for labor or um, any kind of economic purpose. It's for event planning. So, I mean, you can imagine that basically her family left Chicago or left a city. So in a weird way, American Girl has not really righted that wrong because they keep replicating it and actually celebrating the gentrifiers and not telling greater stories of representation. So that's a bit of a shock. I mean, not a shock, but it's a bit disappointing.
1: What's been stunning, too, is, you know, we've talked before about the way that Valerie Tripp basically is like doing fan fiction of her own content by continually producing new books. And be forever, which are the updated versions of the stories that are released now, like they're 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 updated. There are entire plot lines that are just removed from Be Forever. And some people have done analyses of what gets cut out mm. and then in turn how that affects the merchandise. And it matters. Like, if you were to try to collect a new set of Josefina stories today, your experience reading is going to be very different than the one that we replicated for this show.
0: That's kind of interesting because it seems like they're approaching the storyline of these dolls, not as books, but as plays or as performances. So in other words, Mm. if you publish a book, that's a fixed story. The book is published. It's done. It's out there. But from what you're saying, the storylines keep getting remediated and reiterated, So almost like you're performing a play on Broadway every night. It's like, well, um, I didn't really like how that played. So I'm going to remove that from Act 3 and insert something else into Act 1 that makes us seem less racist. So that's kind of a weird version of corporate storytelling that I guess I should have predicted, but nonetheless surprises me.
1: Well, there's like no corner they're unwilling to explore. So I learned that one of the Josefina mysteries, and they all get mysteries. So that's kind of part of it. um, It's called The Glowing Heart. And it's like... I don't know how, like, her content could get darker or more mysterious. Um, So the description for this show is just so cryptic and bizarre. A beautiful ruby ring is delivered to Tia Dolores by Don Javier when she is visiting Josefina and her family. When it goes missing, things start to go wrong. Dolores loses her energy, and Papa's favorite horse must be sold. There are several suspects who might have had access to take the ring, and Josefina is determined to solve this crime. Wait a second. What is this? So the mysteries don't necessarily, I learned this through these stories, which I read several of, as well as ones written in the Felicity universe. They don't necessarily extend the timeline. They fit into the timeline. So
0: wait a second. American Girl put this out. Yes. And it includes yes. something that says Tia Dolores lost her energy. Yeah, because it's a mystery. Okay, but is this funded by Goop? You would tell me, right?
1: I would tell you because I would actually love that. And I feel like Gwyneth Paltrow would maybe open a retreat rich- Treat center in taos and invite us but no this is real i
0: i am shocked and stunned this is so weird
1: i think it's strange and i think part of what's different about felicity is we had way too much to choose from when we were looking at ways that have people have spun out this universe what was kind of shocking to me about reading the fan fiction that people even produce for this podcast is there was only so many kind of presents and futures that we could imagine for Josefina, and almost none of them were joyful.
0: Yeah, that makes me really bummed out and sad. And I think part of what makes it sad for me um, in a way that made me feel my Catholic guilt keenly was that here we have this story of a a girl who's going through a very serious and sad time in her life, and yet I can't help but be bored by her because her sadness isn't interesting, it's actually boring. And this doesn't matter, but I think last week I saw this movie called Blinded by the Light, which is about, based on a memoir of a Pakistani man who lived in England, grew up, was born and raised in England, and he feels out of things in Thatcher's England, and he f- he finds the music of Bruce Springsteen, and that becomes like a, a form of redemption for him. But it led me to down this like dark hole of listening to darkness on the edge of town on a loop, which is kind of danger zone for me, but at the same time... It's my favorite album of his, and you don't have to know anything about him except to know that it's a very sad album, and it's about his frustrations with his upbringing and Catholicism and all those kinds of stuff, but his sadness is so interesting that I can listen to that album on a loop and hear new things in it each time. I don't think if I ever read these books again as an adult, I would hit hear new notes in it. And I feel bad saying that.
1: Because I think her the depth of her sadness is actually not really being honored in the narrative.
0: Not at all. I mean, she's clearly signaling that she's really, really struggling. But even Valerie Tripp is kind of like, but I'm not really going to sit with that or explore that. I'm going to establish it and point to it. But really, that's not what this is about.
1: But I think part of the challenge, and again, I'm excited to talk to a professional about this, which we're doing, is the way that her grief comes out it is then very quickly translated into a feeling of shame it's quickly trans- um transitioned
0: into shame and also everything in this series and every single plot signals that her shame comes from the fact that she's diverging from the ultimate end of all of these books, which is reunion and healing and happiness. So in other words, Josephine is only interesting if she can serve the overall goal of reuniting the family, healing her dad, and finding happiness again. God forbid she just be upset or sad or grieving and want to grieve on her own timeline on her own terms. That's not allowed.
1: Does this actually make both Clara and Francisca far more interesting characters because when we were going through them for the first time, you know, they have tantrums and they kind of have fights. But if you recall back when Josefina nearly pounced on her sister because she was keeping one of her mothers, their mothers, I should say, sewing implements, that was actually a fascinating moment.
0: It really was. And I actually think that moment when I think it was Clara wanted her mother's thimble and wanted to hold on to it, the fact that she didn't want to give that up and she was just really upset and really sad, and Francisca, the same thing about the doll, I mean, that felt honest to me and that felt real, and I think it would have been really cool a Valerie Tripp to actually end a book on that note. Like, Everyone is really mad that their mother is not there. They're really upset about the circumstance of their lives, how heavy grief feels after a long period of time. Just throw that out there and be like that's that's happening, and it's totally okay. like that is fine. It's not something to feel ashamed about. But instead, it's like, um, that's gonna be all wrapped up nicely and Josefina's gonna get that stuff, and everyone's gonna move on.
1: Do you think part of that is these books and this series overall? has to have some kind of neatness because the looming question of how this family would actually fare as a consequence of, you know, we would call it the war with Mexico, but the events surrounding 1848, like that's so messy and that's so nebulous and hard to fathom. Maybe they felt like the family story had to be tied up.
0: I mean, I guess, although I think that there is a longstanding trope to kind of say anytime you have a national story, you have to tell it through a family story that ends in reunion or else it's going to signal trouble in the nation and no one really wants to sit with that. Like even Little Women, which we've often compared these books to, ends with reunion in a way, multiple times actually, because it's set during the Civil War and I think she knows people don't want a story about the Civil War that ends with disunion even if the war's concluded, they don't want a sense that people haven't been able to move on from it. So, because that would almost seem like a matter of national security. So, I don't know if she's just kind of like unknowingly playing on a much longer trend.
1: Are you telling me you want me to share my Louisa May Ooh. Alcott slash Josefina Montoya mix I, up? I can't up? wait.
0: I really need to hear
1: this. So, would you like me to share, part please of do? It? I'll just say to the listeners also Mary has censored one of my stories as being too hot for the public to handle.
0: <laughs> I knew you were going to do this.
1: I know. It involves a murder and I'll just say it probably is best kept in my Google Drive and nowhere else. Fair. I
0: mean, I think so. This is come from coming from a place of love where it's like I, you know, keep keep an eye on you for your own sake as you do for me, so I'm just sort of you know, exercising that right, even though you're willing to sell my unborn child on a discount because I'm five like I'm still gonna show up for you, is what I wanna say.
1: I think what that dream tells you is I always tell you the truth.
0: Unfortunately, yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah.
1: So much like, you know, the way that we communicate, this is a story in which I imagine that Louisa May Alcott during her period of being a nurse between 1862 and 1863 meets an older Josefina Montoya. Oh, okay. What do you think of that, first I'm of all? i into it. Too no, much? I think that's great. So the story begins with the two of them sitting, and I will read just the first part. Have a graham cracker, Louisa wow. said, with great urgency and not for the first time. It was December 1862, and Josefina had been through enough cold days in the capital to know that the worst was yet to come. Her new, considerably younger friend, Louisa, had arrived a week earlier. Apparently in Concord, graham crackers solved all the ills in the world. Josefina reflected that her new friend had really needed this trip. All those intellectuals, quote, born with knives in their brains, sounded unwell. While barely taking a breath, Louisa went on. I mean, we didn't even have sugar or proper shoes. Josefina wondered if Louisa would finish her diatribe about her deadbeat father and Fruitlands before Mm. supper. While Josefina could certainly relate to Louisa's hang-ups related to her deadbeat dad, she had also decided that this was enough talk about Bronson and vegetarianism for the day. Wow. Wow. Should, I, should I go on? So I also imagine that the two of them are lovers because I think that just makes sense. Whoa,
0: plot twist.
1: So despite their age difference, the two made a good pair. Luisa was a competent nurse. She was used to tending bruised male egos, and the broken physique was the next logical step. What worried Josefina about her companion and erstwhile lover was not her nursing skill, but her hot forehead. Josefina knew all about high fevers. She'd watched her entire family die at the hand of her aunt before she'd finally wisened up and gone east. Louisa soldiered through well enough, but she seemed to be in the early throes of typhoid. It was something they'd seen too much of these days. Josefina nursed Louisa carefully. Too many graham crackers, perhaps, she said, and they laughed. <laughs> As Josefina administered the next dose of mercury, she began to tell the story of her life. It's a trip, she guaranteed. Wow. Louisa laughed, and the laughing hurt her racked body, but mended her soul. <laughs> tell me about your sisters, Louisa could. Well, Anna was a bit of a drip. not th- sons and almost no personality. Clarity, we're not talking about your Anna, who's the best. Thank you. My next sister, Francisca, fancied herself a writer, She loved to put on plays with the local clergy. We adored her, and Clara, even when she burned her early writings. Clara, of course, is an artist. She was in love with our neighbor, before. Josefina cut off. Louisa knew what came after, the murderous rampage of their aunt. She continued, Our aunt loved to be read to in the later years. She hoarded her wealth and made all of us profess gratitude. We should have resisted. Louisa nodded. She was getting all of this down. If she lived, perhaps this would be a good story. Wow. We thought we were little women back on the rancho, Josefina confided. We were really just her marks. Louisa coughed. Did you say March just now? Josefina ignored her. <laughs> As for me, I was the caretaker. In a fever dream, Louisa imagined an early death for the caring, devoted Josefina. Wow. It would be deeply tragic, but well timed. She would be everyone's favorite character. Uh... In the weeks to come, Louisa improved, but she never forgot the stories Josefina told her. I wonder if there's a market for a story about young women on a rancho. She asked all her friends in Concord, who claimed to be enlightened. They shook their heads no. So it is. One will be the eldest, and lack all-defining character. Another shall do art and chase men. A third shall write and live a life to its fullest until marriage, and one will die. Some will say that it was the mercury that changed Louisa May Alcott. Those who served know it was Josefina Montoya.
0: Oh, my God. That was wild.
1: Was it what you expected?
0: Um, Did I roll up to record with you tonight and think you were going to tell me a queer love story involving Louisa May Alcott and Josefina? No. No, I don't think I predicted that. Let me tell you what I loved about this. One, I love a Fruitlands reference. Two, I love anyone who shades Bronson Alcott for almost any reason because it's almost always warranted. Three, I love that Louisa scams the plot from Little Women from Josefina, showing that at no point in her life story does she get redemption or credit. Like, you've added to the tragedy of her life.
1: I also think so much of Josefina's story is building to her moving away, and I think she would make a fantastic nurse. And I also just, I both love Louisa May Alcott and imagine that she was difficult to be around. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. I don't think she was necessarily someone, I think she would be very charming interpersonally if she liked you, but I don't think she let people get to know her easily from what I've read about her, so I think that, you know, letting Josefina in and in exchange for that vulnerability, stealing Josefina's entire life story, I mean, I guess that tracks, and I'm also just, I'm drawn into this, and I don't know if this is just sort of like karma or like energies coming together, but earlier tonight... When we were having dinner, I just sort of with no context said to Anna, my Anna, not the one in this story, I think I have mercury poisoning like Louise Malacott because of the bags under my eyes. Like, I don't have any other explanation for this.
1: I've recently had a stunning revelation where I was looking for pictures of something else and saw a trajectory of myself over the past few years And I do think we've reached the age where not only are we using face cream daily, it's not enough anymore to just know that you have bags and darkness. The line is becoming firm.
0: Yeah, it's tough times right now. And I would love, and you know, if the listeners out there have any tips for us about this. I mean, eye cream, question mark. Should I be pursuing that? You know, should I be pursuing, you know, I use a night cream. That's about all I have going for me right now. I try to drink water sometimes. That happens, but you know, dark days, literally under my eyes, dark days. So your story touched me on a personal level because I was already prepared for it. But that was very creative and very good. And I enjoyed it. And you wrote a story as well. I did. And I hope you didn't peek at it ahead of time as I peeked at. I won't. I'll close it. Some of yours. But okay. let me set the scene. So I kind of dipped into some of our submissions and saw that everyone took our lead and, kind of presented Tia Dolores as a serial killer or an absolute villain and then I was kind of reflecting back on these stories and I was kind of getting upset thinking about Papa and the ways that he was kind of an absentee dad or like negligible as an emotional caretaker so then I wrote the following story my story is called how to I wanted to call it how to get away with murder but then I decided to call it how to get away with queerness in an AG book here goes
1: also Shonda might sue and I couldn't take her being disappointed I can't
0: either Shonda I really do respect honor and love you and just know that it comes from a real place and I don't even get upset when you have hipsters cover classic songs to use for emotional mood sound effects during Grey's Anatomy I've actually come to love and appreciate that even though I loathe it and everyone else thank you moving on okay here's my story Tia Magdalena closed the door of her modest home. Pausing to hear Abuelo's footsteps head out of the village and back towards her brother's rancho, she heard a voice behind her say, Is he gone? Turning towards the fireplace, she saw Tia Dolores in the shadows. Dolores had come to stay a few days, a holiday easily explained away by a desire for two old friends and sisters-in-law to catch up. It was an excuse that had the benefit of being true. They did want to catch up, but also to hatch a scheme. Tia Dolores had fled to Mexico City years earlier when it proved too difficult to see Magdalena with her husband. Though she could hide in plain sight, though they could hide in plain sight, to share her became too much to bear. You don't understand what it's like, Magdalena, Dolores explained. You have a husband. All I have is... A piano, Magdalena finished. Defeated, Dolores fled. Years passed and Magdalena's husband died. Only then did she hear from Dolores, who asked if she still cared for her. By way of answer, she sent Dolores one of her two remaining treasured medicine jars. She knew she could protect the one remaining in her home and hoped Dolores would understand the significance of the gift. Inside, she hid a note simply saying, "'Come home.'" Magdalena's brother could be a real idiot. True, he'd lost a wife and had to manage raising four daughters alone as alone as someone could be in a rancho full of servants. Didn't he imagine she'd had her own pain? The kind no amount of goop could cure? She'd known loss as well. Didn't he ever come check on her? Never. He left her to languish on her own. These were the kinds of thoughts she repeated to herself when Dolores returned to the village and they'd reconnected secretly. Dolores said she'd become skilled in what she called influencing everyone around her to do her bidding, and attributed her fortune to a medal she wore around her neck bearing the image of a snake. Ah, you are the patron saint of influencers, Magdalena teased. Her guilt at manipulating a marriage that could never be sincere evaporated the moment she saw her niece offer Dolores the heart medal she'd known had come from Dolores herself. Literally no herb on this earth can heal that, she'd scoffed. After Dolores settled into her role as wife, she and Magdalena began their life as partners in crime and began by hiding her brother's violin. One of their shared values was that no one actually wanted to hear men explain their pain through song. Considering the unpredictable path to her own happiness, Magdalena wondered at her own good fortune. How did she get here? Who or what made this seemingly possible? Tia Dolores did it. Thank you. I love that. Thank you.
1: I love that because I think we haven't really called the dad out for who and what he is.
0: You know, I was in a place of listening, as I said, to Bruce Springsteen's Darkness on the Edge of Town, kind of on a loop for possibly too long. And if you listen to Adam Raised a Cane enough, it's like daddy issues jump out and it's not even subtle. So I think that was just sort of in my consciousness as I sat down to write this.
1: So in some ways, a uh, listener, Angela, who submitted a really great story, she was kind of on your vibe where she was like, Tia Dolores kills the dad because it has to be done. Kind of. Yeah, I respect that. I also love this line that she has. Tia Dolores stands divinely. Ooh. And then she describes her revenge and she says, your precious papa was a manipulative scoundrel. He chose my dull sister as his wife and her death finally gave me my chance. My chance to not only become his wife just how it should have been but to make him suffer and have him suffer as much as i did. Damn, that's dark. And then the dad draws his last breath. Like Angela did not come here to play. Yeah, I respect that. I would also just like to share we did have a kind of interesting other document that came into our possession which is a press release from April 1989. Mm. Do you mind if i share some of those Please contents? Do. So, according to this press release, archaeologists in New Mexico came across a treasure trove of materials buried in a rancho about an hour outside of present-day Santa Fe. The primary object of interest was a large, ornate piano that contained several letters. One letter details the death of an aunt associated with a Dolores Romero. This woman seems to have lived a life of quiet depravity all over the Camino Real in the early 19th century. This particular document is graphic and deeply disturbing and is therefore censored for our listeners. Another letter is, in fact, a collection of scribblings and doodles that appears to have been interpreted as a proposal for marriage. The bride is not named. So along with some steabont trinkets and lots of squash seeds, there was also a pile of neatly folded sheets of music. And here's what they learned. Someone named Floricita and someone named Josefina were very deeply in love. <laughs> their bond could not be severed even in death. We also gleaned that few people understood the depth of their connection. Upon Floricita's passing, apparently in childbirth, Josefina wrote a poem about her departed floor. Oh my god. Do I dare read this aloud? I think you kind of have to. So according to this document, this poem reads como la flor con tanto amor <laughs> me diste tú su marchito
0: me marchó hoy
1: me marchó yo sé perder pero I will say no more but there is a final line the grief was so deep that the author josefina's next correspondence relies heavily on the phrase bitty bitty bum bum which could not <laughs> be understood by linguists wow we promised you that we would connect at the very beginning the josefina story to the evolution rise and demise of selena and we did it we promised
0: we delivered you're welcome
1: if you can't see how Como La Flor is actually fan fiction about Floricita and a possible actual archaeological discovery, we can't. We can't do it.
0: We can't help you if you we can't, can't connect it. those dots. We, you have nothing left to give, honestly.
1: We also said, you know, that we would connect Tupac and if you remember his mea culpa to women generally and praise of his mother specifically in his song about his mother. That's really about the loss of Josefina never having a proper maternal figure. Damn.
0: It's kind of true. It is true. And also, like, I see no changes. That could also apply to this entire series.
1: I think that's spot on. And I think while we're making these musical segues, I'm not entirely sure how we can best introduce the selection that we've chosen as our winner. But maybe we can use her own words to do so. What do you think?
0: I think we kind of let, I would say we have to let her speak for herself, but actually we're going to let her sing for herself.
1: We are. And we're going to set this up by giving you just a little bit of this particular creative's background. Um, she calls us fantastic, which I love. Thank you. Um, um, she also calls us quirky, which I agree with. This is in her own words. This is from Steffi Bees. Okay. With Tia D, I couldn't help but think of all that she wants from Ace of Bases' 1993 album, The Sign. According to the website Song Facts, which is obviously extremely accurate, it's about young women in Denmark trying to get pregnant and collect welfare checks. Question mark She sends us a link. I remember liking the tune, but also being quite baffled by the lyrics in '93. Same. In any case, here are my Tia D weird owled lyrics for you. It's possible that Valtrip was listening to this on the airplane when she watched the piano. Wow. Love
0: that. Love it.
1: Also, attached is my bad karaoke recording to illustrate. And she says, I apologize if you actually listen to this. Steffi Bees. oh, did we listen?
0: We have no words. I mean, Allison basically sent this to me when I was at work and trying to do other stuff. And I kind of had to put my life on hold for this, really and truly.
1: We have a particular code where you kind of started this. One time, I was walking around a Beacon Hill neighborhood, and I sent you a picture of a mansion and said, I don't feel safe. (laughs) And you responded with, I hope you have nine and one dialed in your pocket for the entirety of this walk and it's become a kind of thing where we send each other like gifts or the bubble letters of 911 mm-hmm. this was a 911
0: this was a straight up 911 and i think this came less than 24 hours after i in a panic asked was texting because i just had a feeling that you were cutting your own bangs and i think that was a false 911 so needless to say i was on high alert and i'm glad i was because i was sort of not prepared for this but i i was very open to it So why don't we do this? We're going to play her song right now, and then we're going to read her lyrics because we just want to make sure people understand her brilliance. So if you have a hard time hearing the lyrics, we want to play those for you. So without further ado, here's Steffi B's Take It Away.
1: She's worse than taking nights said to me right away which felt really powerful was you know we all have different inspirations in life and like what are you inspiring others to do and I like to think that I want to live a life of usefulness and like commitment to public service but I also think the fact that we inspired a person to do this is powerful
0: I kind of I know I say this every episode on this show but I feel like we've peaked and we might have to end the show now and I, you know I don't know what that means for us but And also, what was going on in Denmark that all of this was going down? It's like, we have a young Robin. We have Ace of Base. We have all of these feelings and emotions, like, coming out of this region of the world. And I won't get into ABBA, but it's like, know that that's a thing with me. And the first time Allison saw my iTunes, her first response was, I'm shocked at how much ABBA is on here.
1: Can I just say this? Like, maybe the Cold War didn't accomplish much, but maybe it ending opened up a wall in all of our hearts for this kind of content
0: i'm ready i'm ready and i feel like we owe it to Steffi Bees to read her lyrics so that people can fully understand how genius this is
1: i'll take the first two bars okay hit it dolores took a life she's worse than jiggy nye
0: tia woke up late in the rancho light santa fe girl on the run who stared at the goats and thought who can i poison this is the piano, it's 1824, and Josefina's sad and she's no fun. D's gonna kill ya.
1: All Tia wants is Papa Montoya. She'll <laughs> leave the rancho, but all Tia wants is Papa Montoya. Hey. And the wow. way she sings this is so brilliant.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: could have never anticipated that this would happen.
0: Clearly, this is a person who's in touch with the original and it's it's a very beautiful representation. I'm really I'm very honored by this.
1: I am too, and we genuinely appreciate you and you can look forward to receiving a GOAT from us via Pony Express slash priority mail.
0: Yes, yes. So I thank you so much for sending this to us and letting us share it with everyone else in the all these other OGAGs out here. And, you know, we really appreciate it and we hope as we continue to do this that people get freer and freer with this. So you now know that if you want to write your own song, you can, you know, just take it wherever you need to take it, as long as it's not creepy.
1: We will be posting all of the fan fiction to both our website and we will also link to each one of these stories on our Twitter so that you can read all of them. Um, we appreciate you placing the Montoyas and the Romeros at widely diverse events, including the Haymarket bombing, which was apparently an inside job by Tia D and her child. Who knew? Who knew? I mean, but the truth had to come out sometime. Right. We appreciate the poison stories. The layers that you took this to speak volumes to us.
0: Truly, truly. So, maybe what I want to say is before we close, that something that I've been really mindful of is finding really empowering figures and representations of women of Mexican descent and indigenous descent from that region because I don't think we got it from these books. And, you know, I think it's really important. So, I know that. I've been I saw a great exhibit by about Frida Kahlo focusing on her illness at the MFA about a month ago, which has helped has been in the back of my mind and one of the things that she did that I really loved was recreating um, paintings that people would make, um, requesting favors and from saints. So like when they would pray for something, they would actually make a painting of their family or of the family member they were praying for representing what they wanted. So whether it was like a loved one in a sickbed, and they were asking the saint to heal their relatives. So I was actually looking for other Great artists that we could introduce people to. So I want to give this person a shout out. Um, she her profile appears in the book in Good Company that was put together by Grace Bonnie and her crew of the late great Design Sponge blog design blog, which the Instagram is still active, and I encourage you to check it out. But her name and I really apologize if I mispronounce this is Amalia Mesa Baines. She's an artist, curator, and author from San Juan Bautista, California, and among other things that she created was a paint was an artwork that is now in the American Art Museum at the Smithsonian as of 1995. And keep in mind, this is a person who also won the MacArthur Genius Fellowship in 1992. But she created an artwork called an Ofrenda for, uh, for Dolores Del Rio. Excuse yeah. me, Dolores. Um, it feels like it fits. And she did a lot of amazing work, um, representations of um, in particular, seventeenth century Mexican nun. Um, and kind of examining the relationship between gender and Catholicism and Mexican identity, among many other things, her work is really fantastic. And what I like about this profile is that she notes that among her personal and professional mottos, her professional motto is "la cultura, la cultura cura," or culture heals. And that's something that I've alf- I've often thought about, um, thinking about the ways that I interact with music and movies and tv and books most of all so as we were talking at the beginning even Backstreet Boys songs can be healing um, so we're going to post we're going to put together some of these great artists that um, we've been checking out and we really want to share because representation is something that's really important to us on this show so we're looking forward to bringing that to you as well
1: so, if you have art that you want to share with us, or you have additional stories that you think need to be told about Josefina, we would love to hear them. What is the best way that people can find you, Mary?
0: So, on Instagram, come find me at Mimi Mahoney. On Twitter, I'm at Mary Mahoney123.
1: And if you want to find me, you can find me at Allison Harrix on both Instagram and on Twitter. If you want to follow the podcast, we're at American Girls Podcast on Instagram. We are at A Girls Pod on Twitter. And for emails, you can send them our way at American Girls Pod at gmail.com.
0: And just know that we're working right now on, on bringing you guys some fun stuff for the podcast, including potentially extra episodes in a patreon and merchandise and we're exploring live shows so with that in mind if there's a piece of merchandise that you really want you know we've heard from some folks that they want a tia dolores did it you know piece of merch that's great but get in touch tell us what you would want so we can kind of let your voice be heard and also uh in the vein of doing live shows We'd really love to highlight really cool public history spaces. So if you work at a place that you think would be a good match for us to do a live show and you'd be open to it, please reach out to us. We're in the very early stages of this, but we'd love to hear from you.
1: Absolutely. We love hearing from all of you and we'll catch you next time.
0: Thanks for listening.